from living in his car to building a multi-million dollar real estate team. How did he do it? We're gonna find out today. Stay tuned. This episode of Keeping It Real is brought to you by Real Geeks. How many homes are you going to sell this year? Do you have the right tools? Is your website turning soft leads into interested buyers? Are you spending money on leads that aren't converting? Well, Real Geeks is your solution. Find out why agents across the country choose Real Geeks as their technology partner. Real Geeks was created by an agent for agents. They pride themselves on delivering a sales and marketing solution so that you can easily generate more business. Their agent websites are fast and built for lead conversion with a smooth search experience for your visitors. Real Geeks also includes an easy-to-use agent CRM, so once a lead signs up on your website, you can track their interest and have great follow-up conversations. Real Geeks is loaded with a ton of marketing tools to nurture your leads and increase brand awareness. Visit realgeeks.com forward slash keeping it real pod and find out why realtors come to Real Geeks to generate more business. Again, visit realgeeks.com forward slash keeping it real pod. And now, on to our show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Keeping It Real, the largest podcast made by real estate agents and for real estate agents. My name is DJ Paris. I am your guide and host through the show and in just a moment, we're gonna be speaking with top producer Matt Kierkegaard. But before we get to Matt, just a couple of quick reminders. One, the best way that you can help us grow is simply by telling a friend. This is going to be a tough year, 2023, in real estate, right? If you read what the economists are writing, uh, what we know other agents are experiencing out there, this is a tricky year. Let's help our fellow realtors. Send them a link to this episode and all of our episodes. They can stream right at our website, keepingitrealpod.com. And also, if you are not yet a subscriber to our podcast, whatever podcast app you might be listening to us on, whether it's um, you know Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, Pandora, et cetera, hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. We would really greatly appreciate it. All right, guys, let's get right to it. My conversation with Matt Kierkegaard. Today on the show, we have Matt Kierkegaard with Movement Property Group in Nashville. Let me tell you more about Matt. Now, Matt Kierkegaard has been a Nashville resident since 2008. As a professional musician, he has lived and worked in every area of Nashville and the surrounding areas. He has a passion for Nashville and a passion for people. Matt and his team bring a deep level of simplicity and honesty to the buying process. They strive to make the process of buying a home an exciting one. Matt also started a program called Lift Up, where 10% of his company's profits go to the Lift Up Fund, which provides mortgage and rent relief for struggling families and individuals. To learn more about Matt and his company, Movement Property Group, please visit movementpropertygroup.com and also follow him on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Just search for Movement Property Group. We will have links to those social platforms in the show notes. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, super excited to uh, to to chat. But right right before uh, we were going live, I was telling Matt um, the last time I was in Nashville was uh, for the eclipse, and I was like, "Oh, were you there?" And you were in Puerto Rico, and I was saying, 
it, it was really <laughs> a cool thing because, and I don't know that most people knew this. I certainly didn't was that because we were at Nashville, which was considered like a perfect uh, latitude, longitudinal mm -hmm. point to be able to see the eclipse. Um, we, I, we were able to safely take our glasses off and stare directly at the eclipse only for a minute or so. Um, but there, because we were at that, that one space, we were actually able to see it without glasses. And it really was, I honestly, I think it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen I love um, that. aside from being in beautiful Nashville, which is also mm. just such a dream, um, place to, I always fantasize if I was going to move. Charleston or Nashville, Probably maybe would Nashville. be my two choices. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> enough about me. Let's talk about you. Um, yeah, thanks it. for thanks for coming on the show. And let's, let's actually, I'd love to hear about how you got into real estate. Um, I know you're a musician, so and and still a musician. So I'd love to hear about you know how you had you know the path you had through musicianship, also real <laughs> estate, and how you married the two. Yeah. How long do we have? I mean, a couple <laughs> hours, right? I mean, plenty uh, of time. It's it's uh it's. Uh, kind of a crazy story. I, as you said, I'm a musician. I, um, I grew up music's kind of been my only most of my life. I started playing professionally when I was nine. Um, and so I've never known anything else. And so I went to school for music, moved to Nashville for music. Um, and, and for all intents and purposes, I, I really made it in the music industry or, or started, you know, kind of my, my bustling music career and, and was on a good trajectory and, and moving forward really well. And, um, <clears throat> met a girl as, all of these stories start. Um, married said girl, and uh, in our in our shortly after we got married, actually we had a family member that um, basically stole a lot of money from us, left us with oh. a pretty intense amount of debt. And uh, long story short, we lost our house. We were homeless for a year and a half, and 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 I say homeless. My wife's corrected me many times on this. We weren't fully homeless. We had lots of friends that offered up their couch or a spot in their garage or um, you know their driveway for our car or whatever. So we had, we had lots and lots of people who stepped in and, and took care of us during that season, but we were unable to, we did not have our own space for a year and a half and, wow. um, and you, were, were you, still, you were still performing during that time. I was, yeah. So music was still the primary at that time, which, you know, I made okay money doing music, but not enough to recover loss like that. And this was, you know, pretty substantial. Oh. So we had, you know, just a, an extraordinary uh, hurdle to get over in order to even get us back to solvent and, and ground zero. And, pursuing a music career and a life as a musician is hard enough, let alone <clears throat> adding that to it. It just kind of became a non-starter. And so I pivoted uh, a buddy of mine at the time worked as a mortgage lender. He's like, maybe you should get your real estate license and I'll send you a deal once in a while and did the math yeah. and the money as a musician, the money looked really great. And so I was like, man, I know a lot of people. If you are a musician and you've made it as a professional musician in Nashville, Tennessee, you know how to network like nobody's yes, business. And so sure. I know people and I'm relational and I love diving into people and their stories. And so I heard, hey, found to buy or sell a house. I can help them with that. Um, and that's at least some money that I would not have had any other way. So hours of course work in about five days and it's the way to um, do it really yeah just knock it out because oh, um, I, I always i always tell people who are taking their classes i'm like you're gonna forget it anyway you might as well forget it after the test so do it as quick as possible there's not a single thing in that class or in that education process that i've actually applied realistically <laughs> in my career um and uh so anyway uh, sorry <laughs> state of tennessee real estate exam but uh it ended up just being something i could kind of blow through and then learn the practical side of it on the other side of it um but i just dove in and again i tell people all the time you know part of part of my success story is the fact that when you don't have another option but for it to work it has to work and you figure yeah. out how to make it work and so i got very very determined very driven to figure out how to recover from this because the other side of this is is that 
I really am passionate about music and I knew music was where I needed to be in my career path. And, and I don't have a long time to take my time recovering from this. I need to get to the other side of this and get back to music. And that it, it really was my goal for the whole first part of my career. Um, and then there's been some shifts and some additions in there, which I'm sure we'll get to, but, um, so ultimately for me, it was out of necessity that this, this kind of came up. Real estate was never on my, on my purview. Um, and it was just a mention. And, and what's amazing is, is I'm, I'm really grateful for that moment because real estate is such an incredible tool and vehicle as an agent, but also learning the investor side of it and how property ownership leads to wealth building and, and passive income. And there's so many pieces of real estate that I never knew super countercultural in my, from my world, my parents, um, you know, people that had given me financial advice up to that point in my mid twenties. Um, I had heard very polar opposite advice from when I started being in the real estate industry, watching investors who were making a lot of money. Um, I started weighing those two things and realizing that there's maybe another path here and a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't know before that could help me become a little bit more financially solvent and still have the freedom and capacity to pursue music and do what I want to do there too. So anyway, that's how my real estate career started and how it, it kind of developed there. <clears throat> wow. Well, there is, let's, I'd love to unpack some of that. So number sure. one, um, I, I, when you were talking about, I know you've recovered since, otherwise I, I wouldn't make any <gasps> joke at all, but I was like, well, at least it was a family member. Who, <laughs> right. <laughs> took, sure. What, if, if, fam, if it can't be family stealing, I don't know. Uh, no, I'm, I, I mean, it's, it's awful, awful, awful. It um, was, it was yeah. really heartbreaking. And it was, it was on top of a lot of other things. My wife and I, there's like the Barna statistics of the top 20 stressors and marriage experiences in a lifetime. And we hit 18 of them our first year oh. of our marriage. Oh. And so um, it really was just a hellish, hellish season for sure. Yeah. Um, and I can look back at that now. And there are actually a lot of beautiful moments in there. My wife and I feel like we've been married for 40 years when in reality, we've only been married. It probably brought brought you both a lot closer together because you, you had to be band together as a team and really, really figure life out when you were at this huge disadvantage. So in some ways it, again, not that there's a, that it's a good thing. It's that, not that the happened. ideal, but the, no. <laughs> the result of the less than ideal is that we clung to each other for survival and we figured out how to move forward. And that doesn't mean by any stretch that it's been easy. And we've had an immense amount of hard in our marriage, which I think marriage is supposed to be hard. Everything, everything worthwhile that. is hard. Yeah. However, through a lot of counseling and a lot of therapy, which we're still going through, and I'm Me a too. huge proponent of therapy, um, we are recovering from the trauma and we are still married and still trying to fight for something we believe in. Um, so, but I do think that that, that early part of that definitely, um, it, it, it got us real, real fast with each other, got us real with ourselves real fast. And, and I figured out um, what it looks like to believe in yourself when honestly no one else does or no one else can, because there's nothing yeah. to believe in at the moment in that way. So you just kind of just charge forward. And again, when you have to do it, you don't have an option, but to do it, you, you do it, you figure it out, you know, it, it is, it is like that. It's that expression. What is it? Necessity is the mother of invention, um, which is absolutely it's, it's, it, it's like, it's so interesting when, cause people will call me a lot, um, who are in the process of getting their real estate license and they'll ask the, the, the biggest question I think that people like me who are recruiters get from people who are entering the businesses. Well, I, I, I want a steady income, so I'm going to stay part-time for now. And what do you think about that? And I, it's, I always say, well, nobody can give you the right answer. I said, however, people will tell you that there's no way to do it part-time and that full-time is really the only way. And while in theory, I think that probably is the right approach for most people. Um, 
I have seen people do it part-time, but the people that do it part-time because they want that steady income from their pre, you know, their current job. I, I understand that. I get that. Um, but I think what you're saying actually does so tend to bring out the best of somebody when you cut off the, the, the lifeline and you're like, I'm just going to make this work. I'm going to figure it out. Like you guys were in that forced situation. Um, it, it does actually seem to get, make people more resilient and they're able to sort of find resources when they have that lifeline. It's harder, I think, to access that drive, uh, when you're trying to do two things at once, not to say that you can't be done. I've had people on the show who started part-time for years and was able to then be, eventually become a top producer. But I think that, I think that extends the journey, um, by doing it. I was going to say, my argument there would be, is that those years that they weren't a top producer would have been erased had they just gone full in. Can I parallel it to music for a minute? I, uh, like I said, I've done music my life. So that really is my background. I went to school for music in Los Angeles and my first day freshman 101 class, this was a commercial, commercial music business class. I was a commercial music major with a piano performance emphasis. And um, first day music business 101, there's 68 freshmen in this class. And the professor comes in, kind of blows through the doors, doesn't really even introduce himself, just kind of sets his briefcase down and says, how many of you guys have a plan B? And my immediate thing is, oh, well, this is where I get the lecture about how I need to have a plan B because sure. music's so unstable and you've got to have a backup plan, blah, blah. And I have a vendetta against plan Bs and that has never been me. So I didn't raise my hand really ready to fight this fight. Like you don't have a plan B when you're a musician. And um, and oddly enough, 38 kids rose, raised their hands with their plan Bs and he dismissed sure. them from the class. Wow. Because he said, if you have a plan B, you will end up taking it. You probably should end up taking it. And honestly, you're wasting my time and yours. So there's the door. And um, obviously it was a little nicer than that. But at the end of the day, he he yeah. made the comment after he left that the people who make it in music are the ones who will make it or die trying. And those are your options. There's no yeah. option. There's no other plan B because music is is notorious, a notoriously difficult career to enter into. And it's going to take Brutal. everything you've got to get there. I would yeah. say that's true with entrepreneurship, with leadership, with ownership, yeah. with any company, any of that. That's the reality. Is that if you are not willing to literally risk it all and put 100% yeah. of it on the line, then that doesn't happen. And it's not going to happen until you're ready to do that. And so trying to weigh some sort of safety net of a steady income or whatever, and then still trying to start something else, even if you're one of the lucky few who kind of balance that and get to some place where that happens, it's going to take an extraordinarily, it's going to take a much longer period of time to get there than if you just are hundred percent, you're going to get it done. You're going to move on, which is why entrepreneurs, clinical entrepreneurs, you know, Elon Musk's and Steve Jobs and these big folks, clinically, they do something, they start it, they get it running and they move on to the next thing and fire people to run the thing for them. Because at the end of the day, the folks that that, that are able to do that are the ones that are just 100%, they're going to establish something and they're going to move on to the next thing. And so yeah. I think that, I think for me getting thrown into that, already having my background in music, my wife and I are both notorious risk takers as it is. So we're not, we have no risk aversion anyway, but there was just, that was an easy transition for us to be right in that, right in that mix and just go for it. it Reminds me, speaking of like a musical metaphor that I think speaks to what you were just saying. I was, I, I don't remember who the musician was who did this. It, I don't know if it was a violinist and it, I don't know if it's, it's Zach Perlman or I don't think it was him, but it, it was somebody else, some, some super famous sure. violinist considered best in the world at, you know, 20, 30 sure. years ago, whatever. Anyway. Sure. So there was at a part, somebody was at a party in New York, ran into this person and was like, oh my gosh, I'm such a huge fan. I wish I could play the violin like you or 
I think it was violin. Maybe it was cello. It was sure. Yo-Yo Ma or something. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Somebody right. super famous. Uh, and, and he goes, now I'm totally misremembering who the person was, but doesn't matter. Because what the person said was, so so the, someone went up, I wish I could play like you. I Oh, no. He said, I'd give my life to play like you. That's that's what the, the, the fan said. Mm. And he goes, no, you wouldn't. Because no, he goes, wouldn't. yeah, exactly. He goes, no, you wouldn't because I did. And he goes, you don't, Absolutely. you, you aren't. And, and he wasn't trying to be mean. He was like, he goes, you don't understand. Like, this is all I do. This is what I do. And I, you know, I, I, and he's like, if you're willing to give up everything else, then yes, you could probably play like me. Um, sure. And, and that's, and that's not to say that you can't have balance in your life. Obviously everyone, we should strive for that. Um, and having, you know, per, personal and professional, um, you know, balance with, with our activities. That being said, um, it, it, it is like one of those things you dive in, you, you cut off all other options. And, mm-hmm. and even if it doesn't work, I still think the lessons learned from putting in a solid, you know, uh, attempt um, will then lead you to the next thing, even if that well, failure is never, an, it shouldn't be a negative. No, failure is just simply a stepping stone. It's a, Hey, I learned how not to do something and they go do it differently and do it again. Yeah. And I, I think you said balance and I'm definitely a big proponent of balance. I am anti workaholic for sure. And you have, I think you need to really align your priorities and figure out what takes priority in your life. And of course, for me, my family is a huge priority, my kids. And and that, there's nothing real estate or music, actually, that will ever take precedence over them at the end of the day. Um, but but um, in that, I think that you, I still think that the things that you're going to put yourself to, uh, you're going to find more success in those things if you're willing to put yourself 100% into those things and be fully yeah. present and fully there and 100% committed. And taking the safe route almost always keeps you in the safe zone, which is is which is some sort of a, a mediocre, not a mediocre in a bad way, but mediocre mid-level average zone. Um, yeah. The people that get above that are the ones that are willing to kind of take the risks to get there. So I think risk is the key component to this, no matter where you are. And that doesn't mean you don't prioritize things that are important. It just means that you're willing to jump into those things, those other things that you do full, full force at first. I think too, there's, there's an aspect, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. There's an aspect of getting comfortable with failure. And and, and I don't mean failure. Obviously we're talking about feedback, you know, things that aren't the ideal outcome that you're shooting for, you, you know, it just doesn't work. Uh, I call it failure, but I don't put a connotation on that. That's a bad thing. I just call it all that didn't work. Let's call it did things that didn't work. I'll say that. Um, it's, oh, I think the most successful people I know are ones who are like, well, that just like you said, it didn't work. I learned from it. I'm going to try something else. And it's a really simple idea, but it's, it's very difficult for a lot of us to sort of get comfortable with that discomfort of like, oh, I really went for this and it didn't turn out. So now I have to, like you were saying with your business and you've pivoted um, multiple times you've had to pivot obviously with your living situation. And that's, you know, that's obviously a very, a very serious and, and difficult, stressful thing. Um, this idea of being able to uh to to just be present for some of these these feelings and then go oh okay i'm i'm sad that something didn't work out you know the, in the way that i wanted but i'm i'm going to really take it as feedback and then and then just keep going forward and moving i think is you know into a different direction possibly but i, I think it's important to get comfortable with you know things not working out the way that you you would anticipate them and so that way you can just you know i, I mean have probably 80% of the, as a marketing guy, 80% of the things I do don't provide the results I'm really looking for, but yeah, but I think that's okay. It's a numbers numbers game. game. And at the end of the day, I think you have, I think, I think far too many people give far too much time and emotional energy to a failed attempt. Yeah. Um, I think that, 
I think that those things come and, oh man, that stings. Okay, back to the drawing board. I mean, it, it should be a pretty quick roll off to keep going forward and move forward. And I think if you devote a lot of time and energy, you lose any momentum you did have. And then you're always starting from square one or square zero. Yeah. Um, whereas if you can roll that off, you can still capitalize on some of the momentum and keep moving with that. Definitely. And I think that becomes, and again, it doesn't matter who you are. You ask anybody in the world who's found any measure of success in any discipline, they're going to say that their path to that success has 80% of the time been, oh, I failed and I kept going. Like that's yeah. just the, that's the point, right? That's how it works. Um, yeah. And again, I think part of me as a musician comes to that. That's such a natural thing. Cause I was in front of juries and on stage and getting judged for sure. my playing since I was nine. Right. So I, yeah. I, there was always the, oh, that wasn't great. Here's how you do it better. Oh, great. I'll go learn and do it better and yeah. blow you away next time. I mean, there's just never, that was never a problem for me. I have a, a colleague, I won't mention his, his name, uh, I, I say colleague because he's, I'm not a huge, huge fan per se of some of the things, but all that to say, he went bankrupt a millionaire three times and wow. and to get to his multi-million dollar world right now, um, he was bankrupt three times back to millionaire. And so he did the bankrupt to millionaire flow three different times and third, fourth time, theoretically got to millionaire and has stayed there. But um, I appreciate that story because at the end of the day, that's just kind of what it is. That's a numbers game. You're going to fail. It's going to happen. Fail big, win big. Yeah. Um, as an investor, I buy a lot of, we do a lot of investments and I, ch I ch champion a lot of clients to be investors in the market. And I always say two out of 10 times, I'm going to break even, maybe make a little bit of money. Five out of 10 times, I'm going to make some money and three out of 10 times, I'm going to make a lot. And so then overall, in the course of 10 deals, I've made a lot of money. And um, I find that a lot of my investor friends tend to I mean, I have one investor right now. He's been wanting to invest in Nashville for four years and hasn't pulled the trigger on anything yet because he's too scared <laughs> to lose any money. And I'm like, right. bro, you could have bought anything four years ago and you would have made money at this point. Like, <laughs> it didn't matter. Like, so I I think that at some point you just got to go for it. And man, you win some, you lose some. But it, as long as it, you grow and learn and win more than you lose, you're going to well, that and and I think there's there's really even something deeper about the the example you gave about the gentleman that that went broken millionaire, you know, three yeah. three different times. Is you could take all that person's money away tomorrow. It's already happened to him several times. And Precisely. He's built and he's built it back up. And so he he is not worried about, well, he's probably worried about failure in the sense of he doesn't want to lose what he's built. But it's happened to him. And he's like, oh, I know how to do this. I know how to build up from nothing. You know how to build from nothing. You have done that. And that is, right. I mean, that in and of itself, it's not something that can easily be taught. It sort of has to be lived. And exactly. And, there's and, no and, shortcut through it. It just yeah. is exactly that. But what it does is there's a ton of freedom in that. And I wish I could communicate oh, yeah. that freedom to someone that hasn't experienced it because that would allow them to launch without having to go through it. But I don't, I'm not entirely sure that's actually possible, but that is a huge part of where my story is, is the fact that I'm actually not scared of losing it all because I've been there, done that. And yeah. so I lose it all. I'll figure out how to figure it out again. Like, I just, I'm not scared of that. Therefore it allows me a lot of freedom to go take those risks and dive in head first into things that I believe in. And, and, um, you know, so I think that's a huge part of it. I think you're absolutely right. If you can get yeah. past the fear of losing it all and understand that there's, there's just freedom and safety in the fact that you're going to be able to keep going. There's no, the worst case scenario is not really worst case right now. Like it, it opens, it opens you up to keep going forward, you know? Yeah. Well, at least in this country, we, we have a lot of opportunity and we're very fortunate to, to live very in a country so. where there is a lot of economic opportunity for people that 
Absolutely. are disadvantaged. Not, not that it's easy. Of course it is not. And, and we should have empathy and compassion for people who don't, you know, have, um, have a lot of resources, but, but the, but it is amazing. I'm always so amazed at people who just do it. And, and you're right. It seemed I've had a lot of them on my show over the years. You're not the first person that has told me they sure. slept in their car. Uh, sure. and, and when I, I mean, it's, and, and it's like, they just go, well, I just didn't have another option. So that I just put everything I had into it. And, and it's, it's that, it's that gift of desperation. Um, it really is in some ways mm -hmm. a gift, not a fun ride, but it is, it is a ride that'll get you there. If, if you can stay in the car the whole time. I think um, it usually proves something about yourself to yourself. Yeah. When you're in that desperation place and you get out of it, you look back at yourself and you're like, oh, I don't, I, I can do that. I'm not scared of my own ability to do that anymore. And I think people, I just was having a conversation with one of my, one of my, uh, a girl that works for me yesterday. And we were just talking about how sometimes she, she second guesses herself. She's wildly sure. skilled. She's wildly talented, but she doesn't necessarily believe in herself a lot. And that hinders her from really stepping into some of that and knowing sure. her value as she presents herself. And I was like, you're wildly valuable. You have a ton of skills. You have, you're, 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 you have to believe in yourself a hundred percent, even if no one else does. And the gift of desperation, I like how you said that, oftentimes gives someone the ability to believe in themselves because yeah. no one else is going to do it at that point, right? You have to believe it, in yourself to get there. So, And I, I want to I honor you for something that you just said, because I think what you just said really highlights why you're, I would assume, a very effective and um, a, a boss and mentor, because something you just said that I wonder how many of our audience members have heard this from their managing broker, where you you sat somebody down, you know, this this woman who works with you, who is maybe not feeling super confident or struggling with, you know, her own capabilities. And you're like, oh, no, you're super talented. You're super skilled. Like, you can do this. I, I don't think that's all that common. I think there's a lot of training that goes on at brokerages. Uh, I mean, we, we certainly do it at our brokerage. There's lots of training and there's lots of, here are the skills, here are the activities, but to be, but to, but to actually say to somebody, you're super talented, you have this. I actually think that's pretty rare. And I want to mm -hmm. honor you for saying that because I bet that was exactly what she wanted or needed to hear in that moment. And for you to, un to, to give her what she needed. Um, I think that is a very special thing that you say. I think it's very vulnerable to say that. And, and I think that probably meant a lot to her. And I, I would encourage anyone who's listening, who, who is a managing broker, who runs a team, who has people right now, we know it's a tough time, you know, rates are up, inventories down people, brokers are, or realtors are struggling. So this is a great time to make sure the people that are struggling on your team do know how valuable they are, uh, to you and, and how skilled they are. And it might just be, maybe they're feeling down, but you could maybe lift them. And I, I think I just want to honor you for doing that. Um, that's, that's, appreciate a huge that. Thing that, you said. that seems so obvious to me. Um, yes, maybe I suspected, I, I figured you would say operate, that, but, um, but that being said, I've watched a lot of team leaders bulldoze their, their teams before and, and, uh, have the, the looming boss mentality and let me squish you down until you submit and do it. And, and I sure. just think that that's not ever working. Um, I take leadership actually as the lowest position on my team. So we usually yeah. invert the whole org chart and I'm at the bottom mm -hmm. and yep. my team's at the top. Cause at the end of the day, they, um, at the end of the day, I'm not going to be able to do what I do without them at this point. And I think yeah. one of the things that you have to understand about people in general, and maybe this is where my, this is probably where I'm, I know that I'm a little bit unique in this aspect because I get told that from my partners on a regular basis even, but I, um, I am wildly empathetic. I'm very much a relational person. So that's what I do. I dive into a relationship and I will, I will give my, I will give myself under the bus to ensure that someone else thrives. 
Um, and uh, in stepping in with people, listening to their story, hearing where they're at, hearing who they are, I would challenge anybody trying to build a team or any brokers, managing individuals, leaders, anybody leading anybody else, understand that the people in you not only are wildly talented and really skilled set, actually, and really skilled, their skill set, their talent, their value is something you could never bring to the table. Yep. At the end of the day, I have a skill set that I bring to the table that's very valuable. And I don't doubt that at all. However, the other people that I work with have a skill set that they bring to the table that I do not have. And I need to know that they do something better than me. And that's okay. My team members under me do things better than I do. That's okay. That's not, that's the point. That's why teams work at the end of the day is because yeah. other people do things better than you do. If everyone did everything as good as me, and I just happen to be the one in the driver's seat, it's just a matter of time before someone jumps in the driver's seat and takes it over from me. Well, normally I wait till the very end to say this, but I want to say it now while I think the iron is still hot. Basically, I think what you've demonstrated to a lot of our audience is, boy, I wish I had a managing broker or a team lead like that. So if anyone is in the Nashville area, <laughs> I, I you know, might as well do it now because yeah. I honestly think, you know, you spoke from the heart. I think I think it was a very unique um, sort of uh, value proposition in, in a sense and in, in talking about how you relate to your team members and how, the support you provide to them. If anyone out there is working in the Nashville area and maybe you feel like you're not getting that kind of support or uh, or encouragement or empathy or help from your existing, uh, I guess they're called managing brokers in, in Tennessee, I'm guessing, but whoever, team lead, whatever, the, the person in charge, if you're not getting that, you know, reach out to Matt. Um, you can go to movementpropertygroup.com. He would love to learn more about you, see if you might be a good fit for his his company. I know we haven't talked much about the business yet, but um, <laughs> what you just said was was a lot of really impressive things. And right now we know realtors are in recruiting mode because the market's down. They're starting to look around, maybe see what other options exist. So sure. if you're in the Nashville area, go to movementpropertygroup.com. We can learn more about Matt and his, his company and uh, maybe be a good fit for them. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge coffee fan, so I'll buy you a cup of coffee anytime. Just let me know. <laughs> Uh, so speaking of being the market being, uh, having, uh, shifted, of course, from 2021, um, we noticed here, we're in Chicago. We, we noticed that we have about, uh, 700, some realtors at our, at our company. Mm -hmm. And we had a, um, a pretty good first three quarters of last year. And the, the final right. quarter was kind of where everything changed and, and fell apart. Mm -hmm. And we're now, you know, doing about half of what we were doing. Um, prior uh, a year ago, which again, to be under, to be, you know, that seems like it makes sense based on what happened in the market, but certainly an uncomfortable place. And I, I'm pretty active with the realtor community here locally. And I talked to a lot of agents outside of our company and there seems to be top agents seem to be like, everything's going to be fine. Agents who are struggling or newer are, are, are feeling, um, you know, a little discouraged and down, I think right now, and also isolated, um, and, sure. and I, I, that was another reason why I, I want to add that back to the sort of um, commercial I was giving for for for, for your group because I think you you probably you would be an amazing boss to work for. Um, but I also think that if you feel alone right now in this industry and you're not getting that personalized attention, this would be another reason to maybe reach out um, because you seem like you're able to provide some Especially guidance. If you're not on um, my team, just have a cup of coffee. I'm all about it. I think that's important to talk awesome. to someone else. You know. So how are you keeping your agents motivated right now? Obviously the market has shifted. Uh, it's changed. Um, it's not quite as, as busy as it was, although we hope that that changes this uh, later this year. Um, so what are you telling your agents to keep them, you know, sort of on track? I mean, 
I come at this, I'm a very bullish person in this type of a market. Um, this doesn't scare me at all. In fact, I'm really, I'm actually great with it. Um, me and one of the other partners I have, we were both Gary Keller's top 100 agents. So we've spent a lot of time in the room with Gary Keller. If you don't know who Gary Keller is, Keller sure. Williams. Uh, billionaire real estate guru, agent. Billionaire real estate agent. Um, but brilliant, brilliant, brilliant businessman. And he has a really good pulse on things and he thinks outside of the box. And um, I, I, I always get a lot from those times with him. Um, but he wrote a book called Shift and he talks about shifting markets and how basically there's just as much opportunity to capitalize on business now as there was a year and a half ago. Like there's, it, it just is a different business. It's a different type of market. You're, you're looking at a different skill set, a different, you know, your day-to-day -day looks different. Um, for our team, I, you know, Nashville's unique. I have to give that preface because Nashville is its own ecosystem anyway. It doesn't rise with the rest of the country, doesn't fall with the rest of the country. And currently Nashville's the number one market in this country to move to. And so we're a little bit insulated from some of that. So um, to be honest with you, we we felt a little bit of a, a slowdown in September and October. We were back up in November and December to our normal numbers and we're, we're you know, exceedingly beating those numbers this year. So I, I don't see, so that's also, that's part of this. However, the conversation our rates and stuff is, is, is right now we have, and I think in any market, you're gonna have a lot of real estate agents that exit the business. Um, which yes. for anybody that's staying in the business is fantastic because it just gives it's you more awesome. share to yes. go take, right? Yes. So the people that are going to be able to stay in the business and, and watch all the people leaving and make sure you go call their friends and say, Hey, I do you have an agent because your, your previous agent may have left and I would love to buy you coffee and, and take over and you take over that business and take that market share. So we're um, really preoccupied with taking market share this year um, as a lot of folks are leaving. Um, I think the conversation is all, all also I try to somewhat control the narrative a little bit. Um, when the rates started going up and inflation started going up and things were kind of heading, heading down, there was a good half of the community, builders, bankers, you know, LOs and real estate agents that are the sky is falling. We're heading towards total economic collapse. And they just spread all of this massive amounts of fear that the sky is falling. And what that does is that, 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 spews all of that to clients and buyers and sellers. And they're like, well, I don't need to move then. I'm too terrified because everyone's saying the sky's falling. I try to be a little bit of a voice of reason in that and bring some data to support the other side of that and say, it's not falling. We're in this type of a shift and this is what it looks like. We've done it lots of times in the past. We'll do it again and we're fine. We're not on the brink of global economic collapse. We're just not there. Um, I have, I can't tell you the amount, my, my daily conversation has been with people who are basing all of their fears on a 2008 meltdown. And I continually try to bring data to the table again and be the voice of reason. And 2008 was not due to an economic recession. It was not due to, to, you know, massive inflation or any of this other stuff. 2008 was due to wildly unethical lending practices, subprime lending, <laughs> mortgage fraud at the end of the day. And it finally caught up with everybody and we had to pay for that. And so that's what 2008 was. This is not 2008. This is a typical market shift. And in six of the seven last of the previous typical market shifts, properties are still appreciated. Houses still sell. And so I just am not, um, so I try to arm myself with as much data and facts as I can um, to bring those conversations to the table, bring a little bit of balance and reason to everybody. Um, I have a few people in the market that are experts that I usually, I always stay very, very um, finger on because they're always going to bring a lot of really good data to the table that is above and beyond my, like above my pay grade, but good data that I can then bring to my clients. And I can say, hey, listen, here's some really, really great financial advisors, economic experts that are saying, this is what we're looking at. Here's what you can expect. Here's what this means for us. 
And then the second piece of that is then I, I pitch why I pitch in this season, what that means for you. So while right now for Nashville, what that means across the board is that while yes, rates are higher and you will pay a little bit more, sellers are giving mass, mass credits and mass discounts right now. So while you might pay a little, so I'll, I'll take that rate and I'll say, sure, we were at 3% last year and we're at 8% now. The difference in that's gonna cost you an extra $10,000 this year. However, the seller of this house that I'm selling right now that we just showed is willing to give you a $35,000 credit, which means that that would never have happened six months ago. Uh, no. Six months ago, we were eight months ago. No concessions. We were, we were pricing above market value. Things were selling $100,000 higher than that with no appraisal, zero concessions, and zero, zero movability from a seller. So at the end of the day, they didn't do a thing your foundation's broken. Sorry, it's on you to fix. Like at the end of it, there's nothing. And so I'm telling my, I'm telling my buyers right now, it's a fantastic time to buy because the rates are going to go back down. You'll be able to refinance in a year and you get a property for the actual market value with the $35,000 seller concession. And they'll probably fix all the stuff that comes up on the repair proposal. Let's buy the house now, refinance next year. And you're going to be in a better situation in a year than you would have been if you'd bought eight months ago. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because number one, it was probably certainly overpriced because, or, or most likely would have been overpriced due to multiple absolutely. offer. Um, yeah. And, and, and even though like I'm locked into a 3% rate and I need to, I need to make sure that I don't think of myself as well. Now I can never move because, and I think, absolutely. I think, I think realtors would do themselves a huge favor in really understanding the mentality of the 3% mortgage because most of the people who own a home refinance in the last several years or purchased a home at, at a low rate, those people are thinking, I don't want to move because I don't want to lose that rate. You as a realtor, like you need to be armed with data and, and, inf and, and just education to say, here's how it could work if you were to move. And here's why it's not quite as ugly as it might appear. Well, and understand all of the other nuances that come into play. One of my favorite things that has worked so well is um, I have really fantastic partners. So I have four different lending partners that I refer to all the time. My, my primary lender guy is one of the top in the Southeast, but I have local banks and a credit union and another banker that do really specific things. So I go to a lot of my sellers and I'm like, okay, let's do this. Let's turn you into a real estate investor. Let's keep your 3% rate. Let's pull your money out in a HELOC. Let's go buy another property that you want to buy. And this property is going to pay for that property. And you're going to refinance that property and you're going to have two properties, cash flowing, paying for, you're going to live for free. And there's so many of those opportunities right now to tell people about what it means to become a real estate investor. And now, yes, you have one property at 3%, which you get to hold on to that rate, but there's all of this other opportunity to still do what you want to do to move forward in life, to get the next house, to, to become an investor, to build whatever it is. There's all those opportunities that you can do. And some of that's being armed with the right tools and understanding what those tools are that you have at your disposal, which sit down. I, I do this probably on a two biweekly basis. I sit down with my lenders, with my bankers, and I say, tell me what you've got right now. And all of them have really unique opportunities, unique products right now to meet the market demand. One of my, one of my lenders, and this is great, is offering, basically they prepay for the refinance ultimately. And so I'm offering, so they're buying the property and they're getting a free refinance within the next two years. That's awesome. We're planning That's on huge. We're, we're planning on rates being down in the fives this year, I think, and probably fours next year. And that's kind of iffy, but that's probably where we're planning on. So at the end of the day, you can ultimately get your get your house now, get the seller credits to cover all the difference and then some. And then you you have literally have a zero cost refinance when the rates go. That's down. amazing. 
That is an incredible, and, and that's just you staying in touch with your lenders going, Hey guys, what do you got right now? Absolutely. And then helping present that to my clients. Cause they don't yeah. usually lenders are a little more data driven. They're a little bit more numbers. So they're a little bit less personable. So then it's me being able to interpret that data and walk through it really slowly yeah. and gently with my, my buyers or sellers and say, here's some opportunities that we have. <coughs> we've, we've done a lot of rate buy downs. We've got three, two, one buy downs right now happening. So Rates are at seven. You buy down 3% for the first year, 2% for the second year, 1% for the third year. Yep. And that's all part of something the seller pays for. And then you refinance by the time that, that that goes back up. And again, you save yourself money. So at the end of the day, the rate doesn't have to be a scary thing. There's lots of ways around it. Having a house with a 3% rate doesn't need to lock you into that house for the rest of your life. There's lots of ways to still make the moves you need to move in your house. I had one I had one seller client. They, they called me actually to list their property because... They have grown out of their property and they actually love their neighborhood. They're, they love their kids' school, which they can walk to from their house. They brought all their kids home to this house. They absolutely love this house. And their dream would be to be able to renovate it, add a little bit of space to it, but they just can't afford it. And so I talked myself out of a job and I sat down with them and I said, hey, here's, here's, here's what I think. <laughs> I think you take the $500,000 in equity you have in this house. I think you get that in a HELOC. And then I think we're going to go buy some investor properties that'll cash flow that. You're going to take 150 of that and do the renovation in addition to your house. And these investment properties that you're doing are going to pay for that renovation. And you're going to be at the same cash monthly cash flow that you are right now. Long story short, that's the, that's the route we went. So I talked myself out of a listing, but I talked myself into three investment purchases and they get to stay in their house. They get to do the addition. And who are they telling everybody about? You've got to go talk to Matt. He has options you yeah. don't even know exist. So it's about arming yourself with the options and how to creatively get around people's problems. And that starts with listening to people, knowing their story, knowing what their pain points are, but then figuring out creative solutions to be able to get around those pain points and knowing the tools you have in your, your back pocket and by way of lenders and banks and, and options for them to be able to do the things that they need to do. And yes. that's this market. This is the perfect market for that. Perfect. Yeah. I could not agree more. I think what we're really talking about is education and, and real 100%. realtors realizing the marketing and branding, that's one part of your business, but continuing sure. education, I don't mean the every two years thing that you have to do for your state, your license. I mean, regular studying the market and also studying yeah. what other people are doing to pivot and, and compensate for some of the def deficiencies in the market, you know, and, and it's really as simple. I mean, this podcast was birthed out of me think, look, thinking of, uh, you know, top realtors in the country going, I wonder how they did that. And then I said, I wonder if I asked them if they'd, if they tell me on a, <laughs> on a podcast, there's really nothing in it for them other than at the time when I first started, right? Like no listeners. Um, now, now we have thankfully a lot of listeners, but sure. back then I was like, I don't think anyone's going to want to do this because there's literally nothing in it for them. And sure enough, I was, I, I think we got turned down once or twice out of hundreds of times. So it's yep. one of these things where anybody could, you can reach out to the top agents in your area. Not everyone's going to reply, but say, gosh, I really admire you. I admire what you do. I would love to, to take you to coffee um, and, and just get a better understanding. And you, what you, I think what you'll usually find is that they have more information than you have. And here's what I'll tell you. I'll tell you that if, if someone turns you down for a coffee date like that, at that type of request, they're not actually a top agent in the area. They're a mid to high level agent. The mid high level agents tend to be like, no, my business, I do it. The top agents are like, yeah, let me help you. There's no secrets. For all of us. Yeah. We've been through this long enough that we know there's plenty of business for everybody. Let me sit down and help you figure out it's your business. Point. Oh, and what does this relationship do for me as well? Cause I can, you know, I, you never know who you're going to meet and what that's going to yeah. lead to as well either. So, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great thing because number one, you're not 
really bothering them. If they don't want to go, go to coffee with you, they won't. But the ones that do are smart because they are going to think, well, maybe this person might join my team or this person might join my brokerage, or maybe I can just be of service to this person and give them something and then they'll have a positive feeling. You know, it's just top agents are generous in my experience. This whole podcast is part, based for the most part, for I the most part. Yeah. There's exceptions. I think that's of course. absolutely true. Yeah. And and, you know, Matt, I, I think this is actually a really, I know we didn't get to as much of your story as I, as I would have liked to. However, I think this episode in particular, we've done 400 and I don't know, 50 episodes or so. This is a really good episode. And I hope, yeah. um, I, yes, because I think what, what we talk, what I think came through very well and, and very eloquently was how you think about the industry, how you think about managing your team, how you think about working with buyers and sellers, investors as well. It, it really just sort of your overall attitude approach and strategy, um, I think came through really, really well. And, and if for nothing else, listening to Matt say, I am not worried about 2023 and you probably shouldn't be either, but you should be paying attention to what successful agents are doing in the area. Um, this is, this is a great opportunity when times are slower to reach out to some of those agents and really get some of those, those coffee dates set up. And sure. even, even if you, if you just went on one of those a week, imagine if Matt, I mean, I'm, this is so funny. You'll, you'll appreciate this, but back when you were not a top producer and you were not, you know, running your own business, um, can you imagine the amount of, of information you would have got if you, just once a week, you would have taken a top producer for a year to, uh, to, to launch Gosh. or to, to would have been incredible. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, and I tell people, I tell people on my team all the time, one of the things that I did do uh, that I, I credit a lot of my success for is I probably took about 60 coffee dates a week. I would go to a coffee shop and I would sit there and I would introduce myself to everyone in the coffee shop. And I would do that, that. multiple days, multiple times a day, every single day of the week, just because I want to meet people. And so now to your point, had I gone back and taken one of those days and actually met with other top producing agents, that probably would have been wildly valuable. But at the end of the day, meet people, meet everybody you meet because they've always got something to offer. Everyone has something to offer. Everyone has some piece of wisdom. Everyone has a story. And at the end of the day, there might be business for, there, for you there as well. And it always begins with this relational kind of organic level. But um, everyone's got something to offer in that space for sure too. So yeah, <laughs> go to coffee dates with everybody you can go to coffee dates with for sure. And I want to I back up one second because what you just, you also just said something that was very, very profound um, and probably people's anxiety spiked when you said it, because it is kind of a scary idea for a lot of us, which is you went, you go to a coffee shop and you introduce yourself to all the patrons there and, yeah. and, and, and which by the way, not an easy thing to do. Like we can, you know, we can pretend that it's easy, but for most of us, that's a very, very scary proposition sure. because we're yeah. like, we don't want to bother people. We don't want people to yell at me. We don't want to be rejected, et cetera. Yeah. But if you, if you can get comfortable with the fact that approaching somebody and saying, hi, I, I am always so impressed when I go to a party or when I go to any sort of social event and somebody comes up to me who I don't know and is like, hi, I'm so-and-so. And they don't know me. It's not like they know me from something else. They just right. randomly come up. At, I, I was with a, a friend of mine last night who um, we were at a, a, an event for uh, our local Chicago, uh, our, our association of realtors. And, and I asked her, I said, oh, Amy, I haven't seen you all night tonight. She goes, I'm walking around talking to people who are standing by themselves. And I was like, that's amazing because it's amazing. Amazing. I love that. Amazing. Love that. And, and so the point is you guys can do this and it's a good idea. It doesn't mean you have to pitch your services and your products and, and, you know, nobody really wants to be pitched in a coffee shop. But Here's an idea. Here's an idea. And this is yeah, the thing it. I did and I'll, I'll put it out there. I think it's, I think it was one of the best moves I made is you got to spend money to make money, right? So spend a little bit of money, but <clears throat> 
I would go on every you know, three or four times a week. I'd go to a coffee shop and I'd talk to the barista who know me because I'm in a coffee shop every day. And I'd say for the next two hours, I'm buying everyone's coffee and I'd give them my card. So they'd hold my card and everyone that comes through the line, they'd say, hey, your coffee's covered by that guy sitting over there. They'd all come and introduce themselves to me. I didn't have to go introduce myself to anyone anymore. They came and introduced themselves to me and we'd talk and I'd say, man, I just love my community and I love my neighborhood. I want to know the people in it. I want to serve my community well. Oh, by the way, I'm a real estate agent. Here's my business card. Let me know if I can help. That's huge. Yeah. How, not, not that, not that you, you, you know, it's not easy necessarily to always draw a straight line to business, but any idea about how much business that might've generated for you? <clears throat> uh, an obscene amount of business. It was a Let's good return of, on investment. The ROI was very high <laughs> for sure. Oh my gosh. I got to have you back on the show. This, this is incredible. Cause you, I love it. Let's, Listen to Matt. Let's do it. All right. So I want everybody who lives in the, who is a realtor in the Nashville area. You got to reach out to Matt now. Understand he's a busy guy and, and he he will get back to you when he can. But if you are not getting this kind of attention from your team lead, you need to reach out. Um, property man, he's he's incredible. He's done an incredible job on the show, and I want to make sure anyone listening. You should reach out to him. Oh, and by the way, before before we end, I do have to ask you before I'll, I'll give your your plugs here in one sec. Um, but. Who's your favorite uh, pianist? Who are your favorite pianists of, of all time? Oh, gosh. Can I, like I'll give you mine first. Two hour me, then. Yeah, I'll go. give you mine first, and I only have go. one. I mean, there, there's yeah. lots that I admire. The only one sure. I ever really was to, Bill Evans. I'm a Bill Evans guy. I was going to say Bill Evans is one of my tops. I love Bill Evans. He's just, I mean, he's essential, though. I mean, he's kind of made, he made. He's like the Michael thing. Jordan. Of, yeah. Right. He's the Michael Jackson of jazz pianists. He's amazing. So he's. Yeah. Yeah, Bill Evans is great. I will go probably a little bit old school. I'll go back to the romantic period and say Rachmaninoff. Rachmaninoff's my favorite composer. Ooh. And uh, uh, and just, I think that his, yeah, brilliant, brilliant composer. Always played with passion. You know, you have 10 fingers and he would write 12 notes at once. Like I love I know. the amount of passion that came into his writing. And so, yeah, I'm a huge Rachmaninoff fan. What was the, um, what was the, the movie, the Rachmaninoff movie? Shine. 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 So everybody, you need to see the movie Shine. <laughs> It is well. It's it's kind of a sad movie. It's a very sad movie, actually. But but it's somebody trying to attempt Rachmaninoff's second, third, concerto. third, which okay, is considered so, the hardest piano piece in the world of all um, time. Yeah, there's only several dozen people that have ever played it successfully. One of which is my teacher, actually. So I grew up. I grew up with that, and she played it all the world. She taught at Juilliard, and she didn't go crazy play. as as in the movie. No, Shine. <laughs> I mean everyone goes a little crazy when you get to that level. So she was a little eccentric, but she didn't lose it for sure. But um, but yeah, shines with David Helfgott, and it's about the, the yeah David Helfgott. Yes. Yeah, yes, yeah, that was the story of David Helfgott. Yeah, oh my gosh. All right. Gosh, I could talk to you forever. Um, so for everyone, everyone listening, I want you guys to check out and also support Matt's music too. Um, I want everybody to go to movementpropertygroup.com. If you're a Nashville agent, reach out to Matt. He'd love to chat with you, see if you might be a good fit for him and his team, or maybe he can just provide you some great advice about how to continue on in your business. And Matt, what is your music website as well? Uh, mattkirkmusic.com. So uh, mattkirkmusic.com for music, movement property group for real estate. I have Instas and Facebooks and TikToks for both and, and personal as well. So finally follow me, connect with me. I'll buy you a cup of coffee. I'm all about it. Yeah. I'm, I, yeah. In fact, uh, maybe I'll move to Nashville just so I can get a free cup of coffee from, from time to time. Hey, let's go. Years. I know a great agent. I got a guy. I'll refer you. <laughs> 
Love it. All right, Matt, on behalf of everyone listening, we want to thank you for being on our show. You're, you're amazing. We're great, wonderful energy. Um, and on behalf of Matt and myself, we also want to thank our audience and make, make sure that they feel appreciated. Uh, we just ask everybody to do one thing. Tell a friend. Think of one other realtor that is struggling right now. Guess what? A lot of realtors are struggling. Tell somebody else in your office who could use a little encouragement, maybe a boost, um, and just wants to sort of know that the sky isn't falling. Send them a link to our website, keepingitrealpod.com. Every episode we've ever done can be streamed live or um, or right from a browser, rather, or they can just pull up a podcast app, search for Keeping It Real, hit that subscribe button. So, Matt, thank you so much, and we will see everybody on the next episode. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, 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 o